When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome back into the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott and I'm joined once again by the namesake of the show. We cannot do it without him. QB11, welcome back. You were sorely missed last episode. I know. I was receiving so many DMs that you fired me and it was like <laughs> a real a real blow to my ego. Um, no, I'm, I'm like so thankful for you. Uh, obviously, I had some stuff going on last week that had me away. Nothing, nothing bad. All good stuff is just business related and um doug thank you for uh proving that you can step up to the plate and and handle adversity uh as oregon did in the first quarter this week um and and putting together a good product i listened to it i enjoyed it i know i'm sure our listeners did um but it's not something that they're gonna have to get used to because uh we're not gonna miss any more uh pods the rest of the year yeah yeah qb is not fired from his own show he's still here uh I did get several DMs, at, you know, saying they love the new format and wanted to hear more of it, but I told him no, sorry, he's <laughs> coming back. But no, it was great. It was, yeah, I think um, it was. It, I had an opportunity to talk about some different topics that we probably wouldn't wouldn't have ha- had time to cover otherwise. So it kind of worked out well, and I hope everyone uh, who listened did enjoy that show. But you're back, and here we're here to talk about Oregon sixty three to nineteen vict sixty three to nineteen victory over Cal. Uh, by the way, the interesting stat on this one, coming into this game, the all-time Cal-Oregon series was tied at 42 wins per team. So now Oregon owns the all-time series, and we don't know when these two teams will ever play again. So that's kind of an interesting little footnote in in this game. And um, 
63-19, Oregon kind of got off to a slow start, as you mentioned. Interception on the first play of the game, which wasn't really Bo's fault. It was a bobbled ball by Tez that bobbled up into the air and got picked off. And then uh, a fumble return touchdown a little bit later in the game that made what was a 14-3 game a lot closer. I think it made it to 14-10 or 14-13 at that point. And then I think Oregon finally decided, hey, let's quit messing around. And they and they scored 21 in the second quarter and, and kind of never looked back after that. So uh, you know, initial thoughts on this game, QB? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, a really good football team playing a not very good football team, and it was pretty obvious in just how the game played out. Like, Oregon was tripping over its own dick for all intents and purposes early in the game, um, just getting in its own way. Penalties, some, some of which I think were kind of BS calls, but some of which were also just boneheaded plays. And putting yourself behind the sticks and having to out-execute um, – your, your own mistakes and and they frankly did it like i think of that the first touchdown drive where it's like what is it third and second and 37 and we throw a touchdown <laughs> it, it, it was just yeah. one of those games where it was clear that one team was substantially more talented than the other and, and this has really been true in all of oregon's games this year um that one team's more substantial is is more talented than the other and um, it was able to impose its will. And there there was really at no point in this game where it seemed like Cal was like taking control. Like they, they might've executed a, a string of plays, two or three plays in a row, but it was never a situation where it's like, Oh my gosh, Cal is, um, is outplaying Oregon is going to win this football game. Uh, I, I never got that feeling watching. I don't know about you, Doug, but. Yeah, no, I never felt like the game was in doubt. It certainly had some moments early in the game of frustration or, or, um, you know, disappointment in how the game had started. Um, but I never felt like the, I never felt worried or anxiety that we're going to win. I remember even at that point on that, that play you mentioned when it was second and 37 and we scored a touchdown and then, you know, some of the things happened. I remember turning to one of the, the people next to me in the stands and saying, well, it could be worse. We could have given up a touchdown on second and 37. I'd feel a lot worse <laughs> if that had happened. Um, yeah. but, but we didn't obviously. And, um, you know, I think one of the things I, I mentioned in the preview episode that I feel really good about was, you know, there was a lot of talk from some other people this week about how good Cal's offense is. And I, I kind of did some research on that and, and having watched, you know, about half of their games this year, I really disagreed with that. I think Cal's offense is, you know, average at best, uh, maybe below average even on a, on a national level. And, and I really think that showed out, uh, you know, yeah, they put up some points on USC, but everyone puts up points on USC. They put up some points late against Washington. You know, as we're seeing Washington does not have, you know, they have an average defense. Um, You know, they put up some points on Oregon state. Oregon state has a maybe slightly above average defense, right? Like I think that both of those games were garbage time, right? Cal's offense is very average or, or even below average. And I think that showed in this game. And I, I think I got that one, right. Cal has the pieces to be challenging for teams that have holes, right? The teams are not that are not complete teams, teams that don't have great deep, like that, that have like major areas of deficiency in, in one spot, in one layer of the defense or another, right? So, like a team that like Oregon State who's bad in the secondary, or a team like Washington who's, who's not particularly great at stopping the run, um, you like those are teams that Cal can find a way to win against because they have some playmakers like Jeremiah Hunter and like Jade Not. Um, but against a team like Oregon that's well-balanced and, and just really talented across the board, they don't have any advantages anywhere. There's nowhere for them to choose to attack that's going to be like a consistent avenue for success for them. Uh, and that showed in this game. Oregon or, Oregon really controlled like them kind of in every phase and aspect of the game. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, they threw they threw for 18 for 34, 177 yards passing, which is only 5.2 per attempt. Um, really very little in that in the passing game. And then, you know, running the ball, they ran for less than four yards per carry. And, and that included a 20 yarder, the 20 yard touchdown by Ott which is really, you know, probably their, their most, I think that was their most explosive play of the game. You know, you look at the, you know, the passing game and, and the outside receivers, I think, you know, we're seeing Jaleel Florence finally playing full games, finally being healthy, you know, with him and Kyrie Jackson on the other side, like they're just not giving anything up to outside receivers. I mean, they had, they gave up a, a combined uh, four catches in this game for like 50 yards. Um, and just really not there. Anything that anybody's getting in the passing game tends to come, uh, either you know in the slot it's against it's against Taishim or the or the safeties and even that I mean Steve Stevens played a really really good game uh, he didn't give up a whole lot in this game Taishim had nine targets but only give up four catches right I mean they're just like the the linebackers are shutting down the middle too it's just the passing defense this last year to this year like could not be more night and day and I know Cal is not a great passing team but we've seen it against teams that are good at passing the ball well I mean Oregon's passing defense. Uh, you know, has been really outstanding this year. Obviously, you're, you know, you go back to the UW game. Um, even then, I'd argue that was a pretty decent performance. And they, you know, that they, they put guys on islands and those guys won, you know, they won they won the key balls in that game that, that made the difference. But, the you know, I, the defense is, this defense is getting better every week. I feel like this defense is getting better and better. Um, the linebacker play, all four of the linebackers who played, you know, most of the snaps in this game, you know, Bossa and Jacobs and Hill and Betcher, I just thought they're in the right place. They're making the right play. They're making the tackle. Like it, they're very, very good this year compared to Betcher last year. To a lesser extent compared to the others. I think like if we were to do like sure. our quarterly review, like in the last quarter, the biggest area of improvement was linebacker play, in my opinion. That and I think I think Bo is actually playing. I mean, we'll get to the offense, but I think Bo is playing the best football of his career right now, uh, which has greatly helped. Um, but I, I think Jamal Hill, like Jeffrey Bossa, even has been is playing the best that he's ever played as a duck, um, and the most consistent. And I think that Jamal Hill has been somewhat of a revelation, um, and, and and is really like settling into being a linebacker. And he's playing more naturally. He's playing faster and more instinctively. Getting Justin Jacobs back, I mean, he's the best linebacker in the room. Um, You can see why he was so heavily prioritized so early in the process for Oregon when he hit the portal. Um, He's just a a perfect fit. And and he's running sideline to sideline. He's playing off blocks really well. He's just a a really special player, in my opinion, Um, someone with an NFL future. And so... The the linebacker play, especially over a year ago, is just – it's night and day. Yeah, it, it's that's the biggest, and you know, I like to take a little credit for this one too because I, I think I in the off season I, I said I, this this linebackers core will be the the most improved unit on the team this season and will be surprisingly good and and help lead this defense to significant improvement this year. And I think I'm not saying I'm the only one who said that, but I I know that was a strong opinion I had throughout the off season that I got questioned on a lot, and I think I think it's showing to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has been, and um, I think it was clear that that was going to be the case because it's a more athletic group than what we had last year. It's a group that fits the system better than the group we had last year, and I also think that they're taking advantage of what's much better and more consistent defensive front play. I mean, the defensive front is playing not lights-out football. You have guys like Keon Ware Hudson who almost never get a mention by Duck fans playing by far the best football of his career. Um, so... I, I just think that there's there's so much 
so much good taking place defensively for Oregon right now. It's hard to pick one thing, but specifically, I think the front seven, the the, the ability to rush the passer um, in ways that, that Oregon really just couldn't last year. Yeah. I, and shout out to Casey Rogers. He had a, he had a really, really great game. I probably, I, I didn't, I didn't mention him in my post game, but then when I re, on the rewatch, it really stood out to me how, how strong he was the one who got that sack and forced that fumble. He also had several other pressures on the day. So really probably his best game of the season. Oh, absolutely. His best game of the season. And I think that Keon where Hudson is like, again, I want to, I want to shout him out again because he's like routinely now on a week by week basis, giving really quality, like 15 snaps to Oregon. In a, in a deep defensive line group, and it's allowing guys like Dorlis to become more dominant run defenders because they don't have to play every snap. And so everybody's playing better because they're fresher, and we're getting late into the season. We've just got this deep group, this rotating door of, of defensive linemen who are all playing the best football of their careers at the best time. So uh, really, really proud of the defensive front. I think the linebackers coming along, the cornerback plays continue to improve as, as the season has gone on. Um, and then really like Cal was not equipped to, to challenge the safeties. And so that ultimately to me is the weakest link of this defense. Um, when we, when we take a, like a big picture look from, from 30,000 feet, but Cal yeah. and really oh, there's about, there's one or two teams in this conference that are equipped to even show it. Yeah. I mean, obviously Oregon's going to see one of those two next week in Odson as USC comes to town, but we'll get to that game later in the week. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, defensively, it just feels like this team is just, they're finally, it feels like they finally have, like they're acting more instinctively. I mean, they're, they're fitting the run so much better. They're spilling so much better with the, and then like, you know, you always say spill and kill, right? And the kill is happening way more frequently now. Like early in the season, even we saw a lot of times where the, the, the defensive line was doing their job and they were spilling the run to the outside. And then it was, there was no one there to kill it. Yeah, there was, uh, there was no one there that happened a lot more. Tackle. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, it, it's super consistent at this point. Like it's, it's almost every play. Um, and I, I just think if you're a team that can't stretch vertical and really threaten Oregon, like you're just not going to get anything. This defense is going to smother you because if you have to play in a 10 yard box, you're not going to be better at playing in a 10 yard box than we are because we're going to be more athletic than you are. And we're going to have more bodies. The other thing I'll say about coverage just on this team in general is it's extremely rare to see a guy just running open and, and catching a pass, right? I mean, you see you see passes caught, but they're almost always contested. Yeah. Or or there's at least a player, you know, within within a yard, right, that either makes a tackle immediately or gets them out of bounds, you know, or, or breaks up the ball or, or causes an incomplete pass, right? It's even even against Washington, like those guys that made the pat, you know, when Rome or or Polk or somebody made a big play in that game, they weren't running open. I mean, they were they were they were either open by a yard or they were you know covered in the sense, and, and they were just great plays. So you, you just don't see that. You don't see that broken play a lot. They're they're really good, and this goes for the linebackers and everybody. But I mean, they're really good at, at knowing their assignments and being in the right place. And you just you don't see a lot of busted plays on this team. It's it's just rare. It's very no, rare. It, it's a team it's a team that's executing at a level where it clearly knows its assignments right like it's not like there's we're not despite the fact that Oregon's playing what like probably 26 to 28 guys on like with the with the starters defensively yeah right in no, that range no, yeah. yeah no nobody is out of place from a like scheme standpoint everybody knows their job 
and everybody trusts the other 10 around them to do theirs. And so we don't have guys just going rogue and trying to make it all happen on their own. And because of that, I think it's allowing the defense to execute within the scheme at a really high level. Yeah, and actually, you know, one thing I will say about the snap counts, what I've noticed over the last two weeks is that's actually the rotation's actually tightening up a little bit, which makes a lot of sense, right? As you get toward the the end of the season, you know, you were playing a ton of guys most of the year, keeping everyone fresh, keeping everyone healthy, and now you're getting down to the nitty gritty, and you're, you know, I think only 18 guys played more than more than 10 snaps, which is down, you know, probably three or four from what it was most of the season. Um, and even some of those 18 are only getting 13, 14 steps a game. So you're really seeing the rotation kind of come into form. It, it's about a, uh, on defense, about a 16 to 18 person rotation right now, um, it, which is still a, a really good number. Um, yeah, and that's where, where you're seeing the least amount of subbing is in the defensive backfield, right? So Stevens, Williams, Florence, um, Stephen Williams, Florence, Jackson, and Johnson are all pretty much playing every meaningful snap in the, all five defensive backs. So the rotations are all happening in the front seven, front six, if you will. And in my opinion, that's where it's more important to stay fresh anyways. And I, I think that um, it's also a place where different types of bodies can do different types of things on different downs. And so you're always going to see more flexibility in terms of your personnel and your substitutions in the front relative to the back half of the defense. Yeah, that makes some sense. Uh, anything more you want to talk about defensively? Again, they held a Cal to 286 total yards. Um, a Cal had 12 pos- 12 meaningful possessions in this game, and their offense scored 12 points. So, I mean, that's one point per possession, which is a, a pretty elite number uh, for any defense. So it, it really feels like this defense is, I think it's ranking now consistently inside the top 20 in most in – most, uh, most advanced analytics models, and I think that matches my eye test, right? And it's, yeah, Cal's not a great offense, but I think you're seeing the framework of this great defensive play for Oregon, not just in this game, but over the course of the season, right? They're just they're they're strangling out these under-equipped teams, which is what you a, a good to great defense will do. Yeah, like if if you have to play in a ten yard box, I already said this, but if you have to play in a ten yard box against this Oregon defense, good luck, because it's it's unless you're unless you're super elite, like if you're Ohio State or you're Alabama or Georgia, you might have some athletes that can pose problems in that in that distance. Um, but if you're Cal or Stanford or Oregon State or Wazoo or one of these average teams, like there, there's just not you just you're not going to be. 99.9% of the time, you're not going to have the better athlete in space, which is why recruiting is important, which is why what, what, what Dan Lanning has done turning this defensive personnel over is so impressive. Um, and and, and it's, what, it's what's made this defense go from a pretty like below average group, in my opinion, last year to a group that I would actually consider pretty good now. Let's flip over to this other other side of the ball now and talk about Oregon's offense uh, again. You know, we already talked a little bit about the uh, kind of the slow start. Uh, Oregon had, uh, I believe, fourteen meaningful possessions in this game, and they scored sixty three points on those. It was four and a half points per possession, which is um, if that's your average, you're basically number one or two in the country right now. So th- it was, you know. a which they already are, right? Oregon is already, I think, number one or two in the country in points per possession as it is. So they certainly kept on that mark with this performance after, especially after that slow start. And then it was just a touchdown show, um, even with the backups, you know, Ty Thompson or engineer two touchdown drives himself, which was nice to see. 
Yeah, and he, he looks to be the most comfortable he's ever looked, and it it helps that everybody around him is playing with great confidence and executing at a high level. But uh, seeing Ty experience success, I know like some of the times uh, earlier in his career when he got in in garbage time, it was kind of ugly and messy. Um, and so that like that should give like I hope that confidence is, builds and and he is able to take some steps here or the rest of the year and then going into the off season because um, he's stuck it out. He's done it the hard way. Uh, and I, and I hope that that like bears fruit for him in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about Bo. Uh, you know, another, another, he's really ramping up his play. It feels like since the loss at Washington, he's like hit another gear in the three games since then. Like he, he is a man on a mission. He's totally fixated. His confidence seems to have shot up his, his lead. Like you just see him out there on the field. He's leading the team, you know, and he's, he's just making like, you know, he said so many throws he made in the last couple of games where that he wasn't really even attempting earlier in the year, right. That we were kind of, critical of at times early in the year, like, ah, why aren't we throwing in the deep middle? Why aren't we throwing over the middle at all? Why are we not, you know, connecting down the field? And and in this game, you've seen what we've seen the last several games, which is he's really, he's really throwing to every part of the field right now with confidence and with, with great accuracy. Yeah. And it's him starting to make more big time throws in a tight windows takes the offense to another level because it's a group that, has all the playmakers it needs. It has a, has a more than a good enough offensive line um, to just kind of like play within a system and take the easy completion and just work its way up and down the field against most people. But again, like as the season goes deeper and deeper, and as we start talking about competing for conference championships, potential playoff spots or New Year's Six Bowls, we're going to need a handful of big-time throws a game um, because the windows are going to shrink. The it, Things are going to become more contested and – uh, since Utah, I think this has been the best two-week stretch of, of Bo that we've seen at Oregon. And, and if it's the two best weeks of his Oregon career, it's the two best weeks of his career in general. Um, so I'm I'm really pleased with the way Bo's playing. I think that he's, I think that our ability to attack the deeper center parts of the field has been greatly enhanced these last two weeks. And I think it it takes this offense if it, if it can continue and become consistent, um, it takes this offense to a completely different level. Like like a, a top one in the entire country level. Yeah, I mean, if you look right now, by most metrics, Oregon has the either the first or second best offense in the country. You know, depending on which system you're looking at, and and it's also out of the top three or four. It's that's the only one that has the level of balance between running and passing um, you know, that Oregon's offense has, which I think makes it. Pretty challenging to defend. Um, you know, Bo, 386 yards, four touchdowns in this one. I also, it was nice to see, you know, some more people getting involved in the receiving game. You know, it's for a while there, kind of midseason, it had kind of been the Troy show um, with some other guys sprinkled in. Um, Tez went for 12, 12 catches for 180 in this game, two touchdowns. Uh, Troy got his his six for seventy nine and a touchdown, uh, but Treshawn was back and in, involved in this one. Um, he he caught five balls for forty eight yards and a touchdown late. He also had another close close to being a touchdown from Bo earlier in the game that was ruled out of bounds and there wasn't a good enough angle on it to see if he got it in or not. But it was a really great design play by Stein and uh, a great catch by by Treshawn as well. And 
when he gets the opportunities, he's really making the most of them. And, and it's nice to see him get more opportunities in this one. And, you know, Ferguson got back in on the action as well. He's caught his first touchdown in, in quite a while and had three catches total in this game. So it was nice to see, you know, more guys getting involved in the receiving because I think that does make Oregon's offense even more dangerous. Yeah, I don't think it's been an issue of like those guys weren't a threat earlier in the season, but it is good to see that the, their threat manifests in production because uh, it 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 could make certain teams take certain guys more seriously. I think Tez emerging as a, as a true second option is something that we had predicted in the in the preseason, but it it was kind of it really was just Franklin and then a gaggle of guys all getting about the same number of targets. Uh, now it's clear that there's a number two. And I think that um, Terrence Ferguson has been really well utilized the last couple of weeks. We've seen Trayshawn Holden make plays and, and Gary Bryant's still there and available as well. And, but when you, when you factor for all that, plus the, the two headed monster of, of Bucky and James in the backfield, um, and then an offensive line that's just continuing to get better week over week, you have an offense that really, as long as Bo is playing well, is is almost impossible to stop. Yeah, speaking of that offensive line, I think they'll they'll certainly are going to be a finalist for the Joe Moore Award, and this might actually be the year they win it. I, I know they've been close a couple times before. You know, last year they were pretty good. Twenty nineteen, I think they were a, a Joe Moore finalist, but they might win it this year. I mean, I think it would be well-deserved by the staff if they got it to happen because when you think about what was being replaced last year, and some of that was overstated, but, I mean, you have a, a redshirt freshman at left tackle, a transfer from the FCS at right tackle, um, and then a, a true freshman playing a ton of reps at right guard. So it's it's an, it's an a really impressive performance by the group, uh, and I, I think it totally would be justified. Like, they're justified in their play if they win the Joe Moore, um, but even if they don't, it, it – this is, yeah, for my money, the second best offensive line in Oregon history, and if this whole group stays together next year, it's probably the best. Yeah, it certainly is on that on that track. I, I think it's probably Michigan or Oregon for the Joe Moore Award. I can't think of anybody else who'd be up there this year. Um, again, what we're seeing happening, you know, week in and week out with those two schools, in particular. Um, I thought, oh, that off-season narrative. The off-season narratives about Oregon's offensive line and how they're going to take a step back because they got to replace all these guys. And I just, all summer, QB, all summer, I'm on the timeline. National reporters, local reporters, Pac-12 people, Oregon people. I'm just like, I'm all summer. How much time and effort did I spend? <laughs> like saying, you guys don't have this narrative right. Like you don't, you haven't look into the data, look into the, look into the people who are going to be replacing these guys. I'm telling you, this is not the story you think it is. So I feel very justified <laughs> at this point um, in saying I was right. And all those fools were wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things though, where like, as much as, yeah, Connelly was a five-star, you want to see him play. Yeah, Cornelius was unbelievably highly regarded coming from the FCS level, but you, you still want to see what it looks like at this level. And so I, I don't mind people having a wait-and-see approach, but it was clear that the talent was there. It wasn't going to be something where this group just fell through the floor because um, I, I would argue from an NFL standpoint, this is a more talented group than the group that we had last year. Definitely. And I'll, I'll also agree with you. Look, if, if people were on the timeline saying – I'm, I have reservations about Connerly and Cornelius and 
Harper and Jones and JPJ because of X, Y, or Z, fine. I got no problem with that. But it was clear that the vast majority of people didn't even know who the players that in question were. It it was just, oh, four guys left. So therefore, the the four redshirt freshmen that are going to be replacing them are going to be much, much worse. That That was the clear assumption that all of these people, particularly the national people, were repeating ad nauseum all summer like they didn't have an they didn't have they hadn't done any research they hadn't they didn't have an argument to back it up right it was just it was just ignorance um and that was the part i had a problem with well yeah and then there was also like the like yeah like bass bass and um sala both made sorry bass and sala both made nfl rosters uh but both guys are playing guard now and they were playing tackle a year ago so like they had they had guard skill sets to tackle, which it worked. It wasn't a massive issue, but now you have tackle skill sets to tackle, and we're seeing what that's what's opening up for Oregon um, in terms of some scheme versatility, and then also how much better they are in pass pro than a year ago. Yeah, uh, one more thought. You know, mentioning Stephen Jones, uh, you know, it was interesting to see him get his helmet ripped off on a play and then get a penalty um, for. On sports line conduct or something on the same play, I thought that was kind of interesting. Was it for continuing to play? Because we saw that penalty in the Washington USC game as well. Uh, their, their left Washington's left tackle got the same penalty. So like, oh, are you just supposed to stop in, playing if your helmet comes yeah, off? Yep, if your helmet comes off, you can't continue to play. Uh, or it but becomes there's no, a personal no, foul. There's no like, how did the helmet come off in the first place? It just well, flew off by itself. I don't, I don't know. Well, again, it was the same thing in the Washington play. It got ripped off by a USC player that was missed. But, like, again, once it comes off, you got to stop. Yeah, Which, I mean, again, it's okay. for the player's protection, right? Like, Yeah, I guess. I mean, is the other guy going to stop pounding on him? Again, I don't know the context. But I know. I, I've just... seen it before when it's like a running back or, or you know, who's someone running with the ball. Then obviously you blow it dead because, yeah, you don't want somebody to come piling into them. But in the line play, I mean, it, if he stops, is it actually going to make himself safer or less safe? Depend, depending on what else is going on, right? Well, if the guy in the case pushing of against him, for, you, for Washington, it did make him it would have made him safer because he ended up taking a head to head hit with somebody. Oh, like, geez. OK, so no, like, I, get you. It, I get you. I get you. I get you. It's a it's a frustrating penalty for sure. I get it. I'm not I'm not like I think it's kind of dumb that it's a 15 yard penalty. I think it's just be like a dead ball thing, but whatever. Um, I either way, it, I, I'm really proud of this offensive line. I think they're playing really good ball. Uh, but I think Jordan James to me is like, like as much as I love Noah Whittington, I'm not glad that he got hurt. Like the the extra reps going to to James is a benefit for us. I think James is a better player um and i'm glad to see that our future number one running back is is emerging so early um in his career yeah i think i said that around the time that well i think i said it even before noah got hurt that i wanted to see jordan james more and that i thought he was probably a better player than noah obviously you don't want anyone to get hurt and didn't wish for that but i i think james gives us more now and i think he gives us more later so i'm I'm happy to see him playing more. Although it does seem like uh, they're kind of going they're again, kind of like we were talking about with defense with the reps kind of consolidating. I think we're seeing that in the running back room as well. Uh, you know, it had been kind of a 55, 45 split. And the last two games we've seen, you know, more of a 65, 35 split with Bucky and Jordan. And, and I think that's totally fine because I mean, Bucky's the man. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no but way, I, no I don't actually think that Bucky is that much better than Jordan James, if I'm honest with you. Like, watching them play, I think I think James is quicker, or faster, I should say. I think there's things they that each one of them does better than the other. I think the thing with Bucky is just the, his escapability to, to be and his ability to make, a, you know, a six-yard play out of what, you know, could have been a one-yard play and do it quite a lot is is kind of a, a pretty hard skill to replicate. And sometimes that comes into play in very important times of the game. No, I mean, Bucky, Bucky's improvis, improv, improvisational skills, holy crap, words are hard, um, are off the charts. It probably, And I, I think that Bucky, like we had this conversation preseason, like after another good year, where does Bucky fall on the Oregon all-time running back list? Like to me, top five, based top on how five. he's playing this year. Yeah. I think he's a top five running back that we've ever had. Um, he's agreed. been agreed. He's been unbelievable. But and, and look, there's a lot of people that are never going to put him there because he's not going to have the raw numbers, right? Because he's only going to have played two years here, and and in those two years, you know, because of the way Coach Locke and I don't and I agree with this philosophy, the way Coach Locke doesn't doesn't you know run running backs into the ground, right? It's running back by committee to a degree. One A, one B. He's not going to have the raw numbers to stack up with some of these other great running backs of all time. But if you actually watch the play and watch, you know, what goes on and you, and you look at what he's able to do on a per carry basis, you know, for the two seasons that, that he will have been here, he's definitely top five in my book. Yeah. I, I would rather have Bucky than Royce Freeman. I'd rather have Bucky than, I mean, pretty much anybody other than like Kenyon Barner and Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty yeah. short list. It, yeah, it's, it's, short it's, list. A, it's a very short list of players that I'd rather have than Bucky. Uh, and and it, I think it's also a compliment to Jordan James and how good he's been because I think, like, one-two combo-wise, like, this is one of the best running back groups we've ever had. Uh, and I know that one of Lachlan's things when he got the job was, like, I want to restore the uh, the Coach Campbell legacy of running back in the running back room, and he's done it very quickly. I think this is a really, really special group. Yeah, and and Lamar and Dowdell both got a few carries late in the game as well, and both uh, you know made the most of them. Dowdell had a really nice hard ten uh, yard run, and Lamar um, Lamar had uh, had a twenty yard run. So you know they're they look to be the next ones up as well as we move forward into the future. Yeah, I agree. Okay, anything more on the offensive side of the here? I mean, 600 total yards, another dominant performance. I mean, the offense the offense is just rolling. Um, uh, there's not much more to say than that. And obviously, I don't see any resistance coming next week with uh, USC coming to town. No. Uh, I, th- this offensive line is going to have, have an advantage against every defensive line that plays until a playoff game. Yep. You got it. All right, let's move on. Let's cover this uh, Washington 52, USC 42. What are your thoughts on this one, QB? Yeah, this game, this game came down to a couple of key plays. I actually think in the middle eight, um, USC gets the ball back, tie game 28-28, and turns the ball over and puts Washington in. Sorry, I got the hiccups all of a sudden. Puts Washington in a position to go up 35-28 a half and then get the ball back, right? And then all of a sudden, it's a two-possession game. So, um, and USC battled back at times. So when you're playing from a deficit like this with no defense, it's it's a really tough hill to climb. 
Yeah, the other key possession that game was, you know, they were trading touchdowns for so long, and then USC was able to force a Washington field goal. Washington goes up 45-42. USC gets the ball, and you feel like this is their, you know, nobody stopped anybody, right? Like there had been so many touchdowns in a row, and it felt like this was USC's opportunity to go down, score another touchdown, go up by four. And instead, they're at they're at the Washington 24, second and seven, and the next three plays go um, holding, sack for 12 yards, and then it's fourth and 25, and you got a punt, right? I mean, that that two-play sequence was and, – and that holding call was on a play that actually went for like 20 yards. Um, and so it, it was a crucial two-play sequence that really – solidified the win for Washington because you knew like as soon as as soon as USC punted that ball you just felt like that's it Washington's going to go down to score and 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 take a two possession lead and there's not gonna be enough time left and that's exactly what happened Washington went 91 yards and, and scored a touchdown and went up by 10 and it was game over so um you know credit to Washington for having just enough defense at the right time to get that that crucial sack there at the end and um also their game plan, right? And you mentioned this off the air earlier, you know, they, they came out and ran the ball at USC more than Washington ever runs the ball. And it was obviously the right call. They ran for 316 yards, seven and a half yards per carry and five touchdowns on the ground. Well, and so much of this was like really well schemed. I mean, 199 yards of that were before contact. It was just like, I, it was, it was clear that DeBoer and, and Grubb had a good plan and they were, they were, they were moving bodies around and, and, um, and creating angles and grass for the offensive line and the running backs. And the byproduct of that was a team that doesn't usually run the ball particularly well, ran the ball extremely well against a defense that makes everyone look like they have an elite run game. Um, watching the watching Cal tape ahead of last week's game against USC and just seeing Jade not break off long run after long run after long run. And then Dylan Johnson doing the same. I'm I'm very curious to see what Bucky's going to be able to pull off next week against the USC defense. That I think if you quizzed all 11 players on any given play, I don't think 50 percent of them know what what their run fit responsibility is. It certainly didn't look like that. It certainly didn't look like that. Now USC seven and three on the year, five and two in conference play. Washington moves to nine and zero, six and zero in conference play. USC comes to Odson. They still have a pretty decent pathway to. Uh, the, the conference title game. Obviously, they got to win at Oregon, and then they got to beat UCLA at home, and they'll need Utah to lose somewhere along the way for that to happen. Uh, although Utah loss seems pretty likely since they go to Washington, go to Arizona before hosting uh, Colorado. So uh, USC still alive, but their their task is is pretty tall. They got to they got to beat Oregon this week this week coming up, and that's going to be a tall order with the way the two teams are playing and kind of heading in opposite directions right now. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that game on Thursday. We will. All right, Oregon State twenty six, Colorado nineteen. This game was in Buffalo. The uh, speaking of changing, or you know, the USC fired Alex Grinch today, um, sometime midweek. Colorado relieved Sean Lewis of his duties as the play caller, and uh, they went on to put up. 238 yards of offense after that change. So I'm not sure that worked for them. They they demoted a really good offensive coordinator and promoted an old NFL guy. Um, and it turns out that it wasn't the NFL or it wasn't Lewis's problem. It was the fact that they don't have any talent on the offensive line. Uh, that was the problem. And that continued to be the problem in this game is Shooter Sanders got hurt actually because he got sacked so many times. 
Yeah, and I believe uh, also this week is when Dion actually called out his offensive line as all being terrible and needing to be replaced. So that's definitely well, a way not- to get guys to play for you. Well, he's not wrong. They are terrible, and they all do need to be replaced. But uh, he's not going to be able to do that right now, and, and changing play callers isn't going to do that. And I think the way that he's handled this situation is going to make less guys want to work for him going forward. Yeah, he's not wrong to – in what he's saying, he was wrong to say it in, in the middle of a week when you still need these guys to play three more games for you. <laughs> so yeah. it's not a motivational tactic. That's probably going to work very well. Uh, Oregon state, you know, are they good? They're seven yeah. and two. They're good at home. Um, yeah, they are a much better home team. This is a game they easily could have lost to a really bad Colorado team. And they only won by seven. Yeah, they they aren't a uh, they're just not a team that's built to like just stomp teams out, right? Like they're not explosive through the passing game. They have a bunch of five nine receivers. They've got the they got the midget brigade at receiver, um, and I don't think that DJ is the like consistent player that you would need um, to really make this offense a lot better than it is. It's an offense that relies on the run game, and because of that, it's a lot of pounded out long drives and not a lot of explosiveness and it, when when you play against a lot of good quarterbacks with explosive offenses you're going to end up in some games like this even if you're the quote-unquote better team because you're not because you're going to give up a couple explosives against somebody uh, and it's going to make the margin smaller yeah i mean they had only uh, dj was only 20 12 of 24 passing uh you know so like you said, they, they got to lean on the run game. But, I mean, Colorado, as we know, has a pretty bad uh, secondary and porous defense, and, and Oregon State was not really able to exploit it to any meaningful degree. So we'll see how it goes for the Beavers. They've got um, they've got a pretty winnable game against Stanford at home before finishing with Washington and Oregon to end their season. So they'll uh, have a chance to prove themselves one way or the other. Let's move on. Arizona State. Uh, I think Kenny's team finally ran out of gas here. They had been competing so hard with being so shorthanded, especially on the offensive line, and they they lost another offensive lineman. I think they're out like six guys now on on the line. Crazy. They went to Utah and just got drummed, fifty five to three. Um, just a beatdown. This is so predictable. Like you think that Utah was going to come out and and. After what we did to them at home last week, they were going to take out some anger uh, on a on a team that they could physically dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides, and that's what it was. Uh, ASU just was non-competitive at the lines. Yeah, Arizona State was one for sixteen on third downs. They had eighty-three yards in the game total. Eighty-three, forty passing, forty-three rushing. Uh, they just, yeah, it was <laughs> non-competitive is uh, probably an understatement in this one, and and Utah just ran the ball. I mean, they didn't reach out even the really throw. I mean, they just ran the ball for 350 yards and, you know, game over. Pretty much. All right. UCLA, uh, also very predictable to me. Arizona is a, a pretty dang good football team. They're bowl eligible now, moving to 6-3, and 4-2 and two in the year. They probably have the third best path to the conference title game after Oregon and Washington. Uh, if you look at who's left on their schedule, and I mean, they're going to need Oregon to lose, but they've got Colorado, Utah at home, and at Arizona State. If they can win all three of those games, they've got a they got a shot to back their way into Vegas. But even 
If they don't, they're still nine and three, which is an incredible season for Arizona. Um, after you know where they've been over the last five, six, seven years, and Jed Fish continues to do a great job. Uh, if he hasn't already come out and said Noah Fafita is the quarterback no matter what, then he needs to because there's no scenario where he should ever put Jaden Dora back in charge of this team. Absolutely not. Noah Fafita is getting better week over week. He's a good player. He's a perfect fit for the offense. He has good chemistry with T-Mac, obviously, from high school. Same with Burnett. And so, um, and he's just, he's a, he's a playmaker, but he's not a playmaker in the way where he's a liability like Delore is. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see Fish get a good quarterback and, and get this team rolling. And defensively, they've gotten a lot better. And I like some of the other skill players. Jonah, Jonah Coleman, the running back, is a really physical runner. Um, I, I just think it's a good all-around football team. The thing that's been one of maybe maybe the most surprising thing in the entire conference this season, and certainly one of them, is Arizona's defense. Arizona has played really good defense this year. Uh, you know, they they really made it hard on on Washington. They they put made it hard on USC one game. They held UCLA to ten. Now, granted, UCLA is not a great offense, but if you look up and down their games, Arizona's defense has been extremely competitive this year. And this was a defense that was downright awful last year. So, uh, a pretty big turnaround there. On the other side of the ball, UCLA's offense has just fallen into the abyss. Uh, it, you know, they they don't know what they're doing uh, quarterback-wise, which means they don't know what they're doing offensively. Garbers wasn't good. Dante Moore came in. I think he got knocked out of the game. Colin Schley was 0 for 5. Like, they just – they're all, I've never seen a chip offense as bad as this one. Yeah, well, when you have a bad offensive line, um, it makes it really hard to play offense. Yeah, 27-10 Arizona. Uh, UCLA is done in the conference race. They're fall to 6-3 on the year, 3-3 three and three in conference. All right, one more Pac-12 game here. Stanford, Washington State. Uh, I did not watch this game. I will not watch this game. It was 10-7. to seven. Stanford on the road winning uh, at Washington State. Uh, the Cougars have now dropped five straight games, one and five in conference play. Um, they are clearly a... Uh, what do you want to say? They're, they're a football team who's just completely, probably very distracted and also very fractured. Yeah, I uh, I think that that's a dead team walking. I think that they're just kind of trying to survive to the end of the season at this point. Um, and they're probably going to lose every game in route. Well, and it looked like a team that was certain to make a bowl game, obviously, after 4-0. And now they're 4-5 and and they got they got to win their next two. They go to Cal. And they host Colorado, and, and and then they go to Washington for the Apple Cup, which they're not going to win that game. So if they want to make a bowl game, they got to beat Cal and Colorado, and and neither one of those uh, is certain at this point. It, it, even, those aren't great football teams, but they aren't teams that are nearly as uh, in a way that Washington State – Washington State, no one's playing worse in this conference right now than Washington State, put it that way. Yeah, no, they've, they've completely fallen off a cliff, which is really strange because they were actually a pretty good football team at one point this season. They were. All right, let's move over to the national games. We covered Alabama and LSU to start. So Alabama wins this one 42-28. Kind of was a good game early. LSU actually led uh, in this one, and then Alabama kind of came alive there, took control of the game. Jalen Milrow um, had a pretty good game. So did Jaden Daniels. Good quarterback battle here. Milrow ran for four touchdowns. Was apparently the first quarterback in Alabama history to run for four touchdowns, which seems kind of surprising. You would have thought, like, back in the day, there would have been some option quarterback that did that. But apparently not. He ran for 155 yards, threw for 219, and um, 
you know, LSU's defense has just been non-existent all year, and and they made a good, not great Alabama offense look great. Well, I think that the Alabama offense has fast found its identity, and because of that, it is becoming a great offense. And Jalen Milrow is basically Terrell Pryor, um, and because of that, like they they have a really dynamic and explosive running game, um, and and he does just enough throwing the ball vertically. And I would say that he's greatly improved in that aspect a year ago. I mean, he was horrible. Um, and and they have enough speed on the outside, and the offensive line is starting to play better. And so, I don't know. I think Alabama, like Oregon, is one of those teams that lost a game that is probably playing as good or better than anybody in the country right now. And I don't know that anyone wants a piece of this Alabama team. Um, and at this point, it basically locks them in to the SEC championship game against Georgia, uh, which should be a really fun matchup. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one, uh, and I, I agree that does seem to be the obvious uh, matchup at this point, and, and it's probably going to be a, a playoff trip on the line. I mean, certainly Alabama has to win out to make it. I don't think they're going to make it with two losses, but unless there's a lot of other upsets along the way this year, I don't know that a that a 12 and one Georgia gets in um, because you know they're going to have to unless they get picked over. A different twelve and one conference champion, which we've never seen before. Not saying it's not possible, but I don't know. This doesn't seem like a year where there's going to be a, any two bid conference. But we'll see. There's a lot of football left still. Well, whoever wins the Big Ten will be undefeated. Yeah, most likely, unless unless Michigan were to lose this weekend to Penn State and then beat Ohio and, State. Yeah, and Florida State's probably going to be undefeated. In Florida State's likely to be undefeated. We'll see if Texas can hold on to only being a one-loss team. Um, but I would assume that either uh, either undefeated Washington or a one-loss Oregon Pac-12 champion gets in. So I, I don't think that there's going to be the wiggle room necessary um, to get two SEC teams in in the case that Georgia loses the SEC championship game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think they'll need they'll need some of those other teams to lose off and not make themselves um, available. I do think, interestingly enough, I don't think Florida State can afford a loss because if they lose to, you know, they don't have that many good teams. They don't have good teams left on their schedule. If they lose to one of them, even if they come back and win the ACC, I think they're going to be at the bottom of the conference champion pecking order at that point, and I don't see them. Well, the ACC is the worst conference this year, I think. Right. Right, I don't see Florida State getting in at twelve and one. I, I don't think I don't think they can unless unless other bunch of other teams lose. You know, have two losses. Right. <clears throat> All right, let's move on. Al Missouri goes to Georgia. They actually put on a pretty good uh, show there. Uh, it was a competitive game, and Georgia kind of took over in the second half, thirty to twenty one. They take care of Missouri at home to move to nine and zero, drop Missouri to seven and two, kind of end their playoff hopes. What do you think about this game, QB? Um, it, it played out very similarly to how I thought it would. Missouri is a good football team. Um, I've seen some Pac-12 fans talking distur- disparagingly about Missouri. I, I, I think Missouri <laughs> could beat pretty much everyone in the Pac-12. So, um, yeah, I, I hate that stuff because there's uh, – and I hate it goes both ways, right? I hate when people on the other side of the country dismiss Pac-12 schools that are good as, oh, you're just, you don't play anybody out there. It's the Pac-12, blah, blah, blah. But I also hate it when Pac-12 fans who clearly don't watch football on the other side of the country dismiss teams like Missouri. Uh, that's ridiculous. Missouri's a really good football team. Missouri's not just a team with, like, a good receiver and a good quarterback. Like, they have a good defense. They can run the ball. they got a good back. They're, they're legitimately good, so – um, I uh, 
again, like Georgia is the better football team. They separated late, and that's kind of what I expected in this game. Yeah, I I agree. I, they're definitely not the Georgia of the last two years, but they're they're going to be a tough. <laughs> until someone beats them, they're going to be a really tough out. And and I think they're 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 like their defense is still really really good. Their offense is still good enough, especially when they get you know when they get Bowers back here in a few weeks. Um, I think their quarterback is starting to play a little better. They're starting their offensively. They're starting a little bit more confident. So I think they're kind of kind of rounding it. You know, with Bowers back, they're going to be rounding into their probably the best best version of Georgia uh, at the right time of the season as you head toward the late November. So they're definitely uh, right there where they need to be. Uh, one more game in the SEC: Texas Texas A and M goes on the road, loses at Ole Miss. 38 to 35 to fall to five and four on the year eight and four still heavily in play there for Jimbo and company Ole Miss stays alive in the playoff race. They are at eight and one five and one in conference. They will need some help because they got someone has to beat Bama for them to, for Ole Miss to, uh, to have a shot getting to the, uh, in fact, I think someone has to beat Bama twice. So I don't see that happening. They're probably not going to make the playoffs because they're not going to win out anyway, or in my opinion, because they play Georgia this week. So it's all going to be nope. moot after they go to Georgia. Yeah, Georgia's going to take care of business. I mean, Ole Miss is a good football team, but they're not as good as their rating would suggest. Um, we, as, as evidenced by the fact that they played a really close game against this 500 A&M team. So um, at home. So, Ole Miss uh, is the same team that they've been year. for like three, four years, right? They're like a, they're like a 10 and two team that beats you know they schedule they schedule four, you know pansies. They win those four. They beat the lower level SEC teams on their schedule. They compete with the you know upper mid middle class of the SEC. Win most of those, and then they lose the to the two best teams they play. I mean that's Ole Miss every year. <laughs> it's like yeah. that's Lane Kiffin Ole Miss it, team. And like if you're an Ole Miss fan, like considering the history of Mississippi football in the SEC, like that's damn good. Like Lane Kiffin's doing his job; he's earning his paycheck with that outcome. Totally, totally. I mean, ten to two is the best you could possibly hope for, and that's and he's given them that. I just like this like notion every year because usually their schedules backloaded. This year they had Alabama earlier. But usually the schedule's backloaded, so they roll to like seven and zero or eight and one or something, and everyone's talking about Ole Miss being a top ten team. It's like no, no, they just haven't. They're just doing the same thing they do every year, and now they'll play Georgia, and that notion will end, and they'll end up where they should end up, which is in between the ten and you know ten and fifteen, which is really really good for Ole Miss for sure. Yeah, they're a good football team, but they're they're, uh, they're definitely not top ten. I think that they'd get blown out by more teams than they would be competitive with in the top ten. All right, let's move over to the Big Twelve because there was two big games there that kind of really are starting to set the tone for where this conference is going to end up as well. So, uh, first, let's go to Texas. They hosted Kansas State. Uh, game went to overtime. Texas prevails 33-30. Kansas State, at the end of the first overtime, decides to go for it and fourth down, go for the win instead of uh, kicking the field goal and going to second overtime. I don't love the – or I don't hate the decision. The play the play didn't – as we say so often, the play calls seem to have been less than uh, stellar. But I, I like the decision to try to win the game there. But Texas holds on and gets that win, moves to 8-1, and one, keeps their playoff hopes alive, and their – Firmly in the driver's seat of the uh, Big 12 now. Yeah, that was probably the last big hurdle for them to overcome, too. Uh, I mean, maybe a game against Texas Tech, but uh, 
with Malik Murphy at the helm, they still found a way to get it done. And uh, it was really the defense down the stretch that got it done against Kansas State, and which was a pretty fun game. And I'm, I'm glad that Chris Kleiman had the balls to go for it. I am too. I like, you know, I what my only fear when these things don't work out is that these coaches get bullied into not doing it next time or some other coach gets bullied into, I don't want to be the guy that gets, you know, reamed for making this decision, even though, it was the right decision. So uh, you you're know, the worst hopefully we'll see more of these work out. <laughs> you're the worst football team on the road with a chance to win on one play. Like, take that. Yeah, you take that every time. And and that's what I think people – people, I, I, I'm encouraged because it feels like more and more coaches are doing that now. It feels like we're getting more coaches who make the right decision. Um, so that's encouraging, and hopefully that will continue. And And, and guess what? Let's celebrate when it – when they make the right decision and it works as much as we decry when they make the, the, the right decision and it doesn't. So I'm celebrating uh, it with, with or without the outcome. Cause I think the process is correct. Me too. I'm talking about the general narratives and that people make about it, but I agree. Um, yeah. Texas is, uh, it, it's going to be interesting if all, I mean, history says that all these teams aren't going to win out. We're not going to have a 12 and one conference champion get left out, but you know, it could happen, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where where Texas fits into that pecking order as uh, it kind of starts crystallizing toward the end of the year. Malik Murphy's filling in for Quinn Ewers. Started the game really well, didn't end it so well. Kind of a little bit of good, a little bit of bad there. I think if you're Texas, you just got to get through these however many more games until Quinn Ewers gets back. And and thankfully, I think, like you said before, their schedule is, is a little bit more manageable now as we, we head into the next uh, to the stretch run before, obviously, that uh, that title game. And speaking of the team that now is in the driver's seat for the second spot in the Big 12 title game is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. They had a very disappointing year last season, QB. A lot of uh, heat on Gundy, but he's really come back this year. They're seven and two now, five and one in conference. Knocked off the Sooners, who fall to four and two in conference, and 27-24 home victory in Bedlam. Obviously, a lot on the line in that game, not just from the Big Twelve standing standpoint, but from the rivalry standpoint. And this game, you know, not being scheduled into the future and going away and everything. But the Cowboys, you know, give them credit for outscoring Oklahoma ten to three in the fourth quarter to win this game. Yeah, I mean, uh, an Oklahoma State team that like had a mass exodus in the transfer portal, they lost all kinds of starters, and then they got better. Um, and I think that that just kind of shines light on what Mike Gundy's done there year after year after year and producing lots of really good football teams um, out of a, a kind of a mixed bag of parts. Yeah, they are now in a really good position um, to make it to the, the Big 12 title game. They play their, their final schedule – is all three newcomers. They play at UCF, at Houston, and then BYU at home. So those are three teams who are all, you know, at the bottom end of the Big 12 standings, obviously all playing up a level this year. They're all under 500 football teams. So if you're Oklahoma State, you gotta you got to take care of business, and then you're, you're playing in Dallas for the Big 12 title, and you can't complain about that. No, you can't. All right, that is all the games we had this week. You went six and four QB. You got Oregon, Utah, Stanford in the Pac-12. You missed on USC, Oregon State, UCLA, and on the national games, you got Alabama, Missouri, and Kansas State. You dropped the Oklahoma game and you pushed on Ole Miss. I went six and four as well, picking up Colorado, Arizona, and Stanford while dropping Cal. Cal. 
picking up Colorado, Arizona, and Stanford while dropping Cal, USC, and Arizona State. And on the national level, I've got Bama, Kansas State, and the Cowboys. I missed on Georgia, pushed on Ole Miss. Justin fell to three and seven this week as he got Oregon and Arizona right in the Pac-12. And Alabama was the only national game he picked correctly. Also got the push on Ole Miss. So on the season now, Justin is 60 and 53. You are 55 and 58, five games back. And I am six games behind you, 11 games behind Justin at 49 and 64. Needless to say, don't bet on my picks. It's been a horrible year for me too, so it's all right, Doug. Uh, I I said it was going to be a new year, new me, and it definitely has not been. We will learn and we will improve going into next year, and we will be right around 500 again. There we go. And we're going to be doing a lot of Big Ten games next year. A lot more Big Ten games next year. I can't wait to be picking these Illinois versus Purdue games. Yeah, me neither. Mm. Anything more before we wrap it up? No, I think this is a great episode. I, uh, I'm i just glad to be back. I'm glad to be back chatting with you. And I'm just really proud of the way this team is playing. I think that this is – I told you this privately coming into the season. I think this is the best Oregon team of all time. I thought this team had the potential, and I'm glad to see them starting to realize it um, and put together like complete performances week after week. And it, it's just a, not a team that I can see dropping a game to an inferior opponent. Um, and so getting through this week against a talented USC team with the former Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback uh, will be a, a big test. But if you can get through that, I think that you sail through Arizona State and then you have a Civil War game um, between you and a potential rematch with Washington to, for a playoff spot. Yeah, absolutely. Oregon's, you know, it's Oregon versus Oregon, right? They got three games left to, to get uh, to get to Vegas and have all their goals on the line and all their goals are still available for them, right? So it starts with USC at home in Autzen under the lights, late game. It's going to be a, going to be a loud one. going to be a fun one. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to see you there. Um, so yeah, we'll be previewing that game later this week. So you definitely want to listen in on that. And uh, after that, it's then you're at Arizona and then the, the Beavers at home. So uh, ducks are right there, control their own destiny. They just got to keep, as, as Dan says, you know, just win the next one. So the next one's USC. Sounds good, Doug. Well, we will chat on Wednesday. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting Doug and his solopreneurship of the, of the podcast last week. Um, and uh, make sure that you tweet him nice compliments about the job he did in my absence. <laughs> All right, everyone. Good night.